Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. So if I eat enough cinnamon, does that mean I can now like also have chocolate? <laughs> what what answer do you want? You know what answer I want. Then yes, Lizzie, absolutely. Great. All the cinnamon you want and all the chocolate you want. Perfect. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career in friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to dissect the pilot pickup process in gruesome detail. You say gruesome, I say glorious. All right, it's both. (laughs) Then we'll talk to Dr. Melina Jampolis about her fascinating new book, Spice Up, Slim Down, which actually got me to go to the store and buy spices, something I have never done in my entire life. (laughs) Finally, we have a fun Hollywood hack that's helping to distract us from the aforementioned pilot pickup process. Um, But first, Liz, you had some additional thoughts on a listener question about how to make friends in L.A. Yes. In episode 35, our listener Hannah said she was new to Los Angeles and finding it hard to make friends. And she wanted some advice about how to do that. And we asked Mary, our assistant, to chime in because she's a lot younger than we are and she's more (laughs) in the process of moving to L.A. and making friends. She's closer to that time in her life. Um, And Mary had great advice, which everyone should go back and listen to, by the way, if this is a problem for you. But I was just thinking about it afterwards. And one thing I wanted to add was that you need to be free to make the first move. You know, one thing I've found is Jack has started school um, and I'm getting to know a whole group of people and making new friends is for a long time, I was feeling very shy and intimidated. And I was like, I didn't want to reach out to someone unless they reached out to me first. Right. Because I felt like, well, they may not be interested in me. So I don't want to make a fool of myself. Of course, eventually I was like, wait a second. What about them? Like they might be thinking the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing I've realized over time in my many years when I stop and think about it is usually if I like someone and Mm -hmm. think they could be a friend, 
they feel the same. Right. You know, usually people sort of, you know, you're simpatico, so so you're thinking the same thing. So I've just tried to start reaching out myself uh-huh. and inviting people to do things. It's hard, though. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I know I should do it. Right. So I think that is what Hannah should also do, is make the first move. That is great advice for Hannah and for any listeners who are moving to L.A. It's also great advice for me. It's I'm hard. Like, yes, you are so right. Violet started at a new school this year. She's going to start at another school next year. Yeah. There are always situations when we're in a new environment meeting new people. And, of course, we should be empowered to make that first move. Somebody has to do it. Yeah, it's sort of like dating. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Friend like dating. Somebody has to take it beyond just saying hi in the carpool line. Yeah. And, of course, that's not just L.A. That's everywhere. Like, Everybody's always in new situations and needing to make new friends. Yeah, and sometimes so, it'll work out and sometimes it won't, but you have to make the effort. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen is they'll blow you off. Right. You know, but you won't be any worse off than you were to begin with. <laughs> so that's just a little extra piece of advice for Hannah and everybody out there. <laughs> okay, Liz, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, in a huge way, it's the pilot pickup process. Yes. And now I feel like I'm going to throw up. Oh, my God. The churning stomach syndrome. Yeah. It's hideous. So people ask us about the development process a lot, getting a show from concept to series. Yeah, and it's a process that's both fast. You know, if you consider, like, movies might take 10 years to get made, 15 years. Right. Whereas ours, it all happens in a matter of months. Um, And everything feels rushed. At the same time, it feels like it takes forever, and it is a constant roller coaster. Yes. So I think we've talked about the beginning of the process before, Mm -hmm. where you come up with a pitch. That was episode 10. Yes. If anyone wants to hear about how to pitch, listen to episode 10. And then once you've sold the idea to a network, and this year we have two pilot scripts at ABC, then you write a story area, then you do an outline, and then you do the script, and you do... 10 versions of the script, sometimes 50. It just depends how many rewrites you you have to do. Yeah. And that's when we basically get to the place we're at now. Yeah. Our scripts are into the network, and we are just waiting to hear what's going to happen. You know, as you said, you have to do many rewrites. Mm-hmm. And the whole goal of these rewrites is to move things up the chain to the ultimate decision makers. Right. So in our case, we're trying to move ours up the chain to Channing Dungey, who is the president of ABC. She, along with a couple of other people, are sort of the ultimate deciders on what gets made. And by the way, when we say what gets made, that's just the pilot. Right. I mean, you know, the series pickup is a whole other process that would take place in May. Right. The pilot is like one huge gauntlet of insanity. Yeah. (laughs) And then if you make it through that, then you get to go to series. Yeah. And what's interesting about the notes is they sort of It's like an ever-evolving process. So you have first executives who you've been working with from the pitch through the outline phase and the initial first draft of the script. Then there's a thing which we dread called the group read. Right. And that's where – and that has to happen before, again, it gets to higher up the chain. And the group read is when people read the script who have not been involved in the process. So – 
they are just coming to it a little more cold, which in theory should make them better able to sort of see holes, see what's confusing, you know, see what's really popping and working. And that's where it just gets scary because you have just people who feel like they're coming in from the outside. Right. The, the first rounds are with people who are really on your team. Yes. And then suddenly it's other people who, by the way, have other projects that yes. they're championing yes. who are suddenly now reading yours and you feel like, well, are they really coming into it? You know, we're going to make this better or are they coming into it with we're going to rip this to shreds in the hopes yeah. that my project will go instead? Which I'm sure would be an unconscious thing. I'm sure oh, nobody's totally. consciously thinking that. But I mean, that's what I would be doing, I'm sure, if I were one of those yes. people. And it's really scary. Like, there's nothing we dread more than the notes call after the group read. And then, Sarah, during this whole time when we're doing these final rounds of notes, these tweaking and we're just waiting for the <laughs> word to come down, the axe to fall, Yeah. Um, there's a million rumors. It's crazy. Everyone is, you know, whispering to everyone else, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? What's hot? You're talking to agents. You're talking to managers. You're talking to casting people. You're, like, getting all these tiny bits of information. Yeah. Much of our day is just, who can we randomly call yeah. now to see if they've heard <laughs> anything? Which we know, even if they have heard something, it's meaningless. Right. But yet, we still feel compelled to call random people and ask what they've heard. Yes. And our poor agent, I mean, Matt, yeah. gets a lot of calls right now. Oh, he does. He's like, Matt, call so-and-so. Matt, call yes. so-and-so. What have you heard? What can you tell us? Yes, it's us calling people and then us trying to get other people to call people yeah. for information. <laughs> now, usually we um, follow all of those rumors on deadline. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, I don't know if we've ever talked about deadline before. It's an online, I don't know, magazine or... It's like the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, only it's... Only Just online. online. It doesn't have a print edition. Yes. And it really, it came to prominence during the 2007 writer's strike as a place to get information about it's a little what more was scrappy. going on. Yes. It's really where we go for our minute-to-minute -minute information about what's going on in Hollywood. And usually, every year since it's existed, they've had something called primetime pilot panic. And that's where they basically just report all these rumors, listing what's hot at what network, what's dead, what everyone's chattering about. And for some reason... There's nothing. There's no primetime panic this year. I know. And they do it, I thought, at both this period when it's like what pilots are going to get made and then at actual pickups to series like right they do both that's what i thought but maybe there's not it's like it's like a barren wasteland it's terrible yeah, so we don't even have that to look at. We keep I ourselves. Busy I keep refreshing with. that line though to see cuz they do list pickups one at a time. Right. Now, the other thing we do that I guess is a little more productive during this time to sort of keep ourselves occupied is we talk about what we'll do if the pilot is made. So it's a lot of making lists of actors and actresses, talking to the casting people at the studio. Sending out feelers to people you want to hire. Hey, are you available? Of course, we don't like doing that much because then if it doesn't get made, it's like so humiliating that yes. we've... <laughs> but the most important thing we do really is meet with directors. Yes. To, in the hopes that yeah. you will be able to hire them in the near future, directors go so fast oh, yeah. when pilots start getting picked up. So it's really, if you can, important to meet with people you're interested in before you get picked up so you can just leap. Yeah, and the other crazy thing about pilot season is 
pilots all get picked up at the, like within the same two weeks. So everybody in town is trying to get the same directors, the same actors, the same casting agents, the same costume designers. So the name of the game is just pulling the trigger as fast as you can on anything that you, anybody you need to hire. It's a feeding frenzy. Yes. I mean, there have been times when we have been, you know, down the list on yeah. choices for certain jobs because we didn't jump fast enough. Now, of course, Sarah, what we should be doing during this period of waiting, because it's a little bit of downtime, is we should be meditating. We should be hiking. We should be getting massages. We should be engaging in radical self-care. We are totally not, but we should be. Yes, we should be getting our hair cut and all of our doctor's appointments done. (laughs) There's so many things that we should be doing right now. But what are we doing? We are sitting around. We're making panicked phone calls. We're drinking lots of coffee. And we're analyzing our chances of getting picked up in excruciating detail. Yeah, it, if one were to watch it, they might like think that we were two insane women who'd been put <laughs> together, you know, in a hospital yeah. to keep each other company. Exactly. Oh God. Yes, and as we said, if we're lucky enough to make this pilot, the same thing's going to happen in May. The same horrible rumor seeking and you know panic. Yeah, so um, all I can say is I hope we have good news to report soon. Yes. And, of course, with that good news comes complete insanity. Oh, right. Uh, good news just means your life yeah. is about to be total hell for four months. <laughs> yes. So, and then if you get picked up, total hell for a year. Yes. So but, hopefully you know. we're about to enter hell. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only in Hollywood do you pray for hell. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Coming up, we talked to Hollywood doctor Melina Jampolis about the benefits of spicing it up. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And now it's time for Take a Hike, in which we talk about mental, spiritual, and physical health. And today we are talking about physical health. Yes, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Melina Jampolist, internist and board-certified physician nutrition specialist, one of only several hundred practicing in the United States. Trained as an internist for the past 15 years, she has specialized exclusively in nutrition for weight loss, disease prevention, and treatment. Dr. Melina is a frequent guest on popular TV shows, including Live with Kelly and Ryan, The Doctors, The Dr. Oz Show, CNN, Hallmark Home and Family, 
And she has appeared on the Today Show, Access Hollywood Live, The Talk, and numerous local television and radio stations. Dr. Molina's latest book, Spice Up, Slim Down, was just released in December 2017, and 100% of the profits will go to charity to fight childhood malnutrition around the world. Her latest business venture, Spice Fit, is dedicated to producing the highest quality research-supported spice-based supplements for weight loss and achieving optimal health. Dr. Molina, welcome. Welcome. Uh, It's great to be here. So you started as a traditional internist, and then you moved into focusing on nutrition. What took you there? That's a great question, and I moved early on. I was only practicing for six months, and I became completely disillusioned with internal medicine, which is what I was trained in and board certified in initially. I felt like I spent all my days putting people on medications for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and not doing any lifestyle counseling whatsoever. And I felt like I was making the pharmaceutical companies lots of money, Mm. but not really profoundly impacting people's health. And so I actually left medicine after, you know, seven years of training and taking my boards. I left medicine and went to work for a startup medical device company for a couple of years. I figured maybe research I could contribute more and feel more, you know, fulfilled. But that wasn't so great either. So I actually, it's, it's so random. I I got a part-time job on Craigslist, moonlighting. Oh, my gosh. At a wait- and it's funny because I know Craig. He's a friend of mine oh. in San Francisco. I told him he's responsible for my whole career switch. But um, And uh, I got a job moonlighting at a weight loss clinic just to pay the bills in San Francisco. And it was kind of one of those light bulb moments. And I realized that, you know, through weight management initially, I could really profoundly impact people's health on, on a much greater level. But then after six months there, I realized that it wasn't just about weight loss. It was about nutrition and optimal health, and, and that was all needed to be together. It wasn't just fast weight loss with pills and shakes. And at that time, there really was no training modality for physicians in nutrition. Sadly, it still is not a big priority in physician education. So I basically trained myself in nutrition. I started reading textbooks, going to meetings. And in 2004, they actually created a board certification as physician nutrition specialist. So I became one of only about 237 physicians in the country who are board certified as physician nutrition specialists. And that's what I've done exclusively now for, you know, 17 years. It, it's uh, the field of nutrition now is, is exploding more, especially in the last few years. And then it led to this wonderful path in, in the spice world. Yes. <laughs> and one thing I want to say is I love that it's nutrition is getting more sort of medical because I feel like for yeah. years I would go see a nutritionist and it was always just, well, eat a turkey roll and a blueberry. It's like that was just the only advice. Right. You know? And now Mm -hmm. it feels like there's just so much more information out there. That's a good thing and a bad thing. There's a lot of information. Some of it is not so credible. I mean, unfortunately, because the field of nutrition hasn't been as grounded in medicine historically in this country, it has in the rest of the world, Uh which is we'll talk about later with the spices. But, you know, there's a lot of 
more, I call them alternative practitioners that may not be as, you know, scientifically mm. based. And, and so that's mm-hmm. a little concerning to me because there's a lot of misinformation out there. That's why it's so important to train more physician nutrition specialists because I, I feel like from a research standpoint, in most cases, you know, we just hold ourselves to a different standard and really kind of giving evidence-based recommendations rather than, you know, oh, this worked in rats, right. you know, so it <laughs> right. may work in you, exactly. or it worked with my neighbor, and uh, so I think it'll help you lose weight, too, or get healthier, you know, lower cholesterol. So, Dr. Molina, how did you hone in specifically on spices? Like, where did that interest come from? About seven years ago in my practice, I stumbled upon uh, a pretty sizable body of research that looked at um, the active ingredient in cayenne pepper. It's called capsaicin, and how it could potentially play a truly relevant role on multiple different levels in weight loss. So at that time, I was really more focused on weight loss. You know, so cayenne pepper, capsaicin, can help increase fat oxidation, which is the burning of fat for fuel. It can help boost metabolism slightly, and it can also help with appetite control. The burning that we feel in our mouth actually activates nerves throughout our digestive system that can help improve appetite control and increase satiety, which is fullness. So I was really intrigued by that because I'd always kind of stayed away from diet pills in my practice. I just felt like they were a quick fix. And the minute people stopped them, that the weight would just come back. I felt like it was more important to give them the tools to really do this in a more, you know, natural. That's kind of a vague term, but I just wasn't really comfortable with using medication for the most part in my practice. And so that was kind of an eye-opener seven years ago. And then about three years ago, I attended a symposium that was put on by the National Institute of Health on turmeric and the active ingredient in turmeric, which is curcumin. And I was blown away. I still remember this chart that they showed that had like 50 different potential benefits of turmeric throughout the body. And I mean, on a cellular level, on an epigenetic level, so changing the way genes express themselves. And I was just blown away, you know, and then you look at epidemiologic data where, you know, the population of northern India has four times less Alzheimer's disease than we do. And a big difference in their diet is that they use turmeric and curry, you know, a lot of curries and turmeric being the main ingredient in curry. So it was a really exciting moment for me because I've always profoundly believed in food as medicine. Mm -hmm. And this to me was like, you know, we have so many superfoods and everybody's eating quinoa and kale and blueberries, and that's great. But, you know, meanwhile, the spice cabinet is collecting dust for the Mm -hmm. most part, and it has so much potential that I really started diving in about three years ago, and it became more and more of a focus of mine in just, you know, being aware of the literature, and it got to the point where there was just so much good stuff out there. So I love hearing that about turmeric um, because I have a history of Alzheimer's in my family and I've been drinking golden milk yeah. at night because mm-hmm. it has turmeric and a lot of other really great 
things in it. Are there any other spices that you think would be good for me to incorporate? There's a ton for the brain. I mean, really, I talk a lot in the book about individual spices and the research, and a lot of them have really good early clinical data on the brain. I mean, time is one. This is an animal study. I mean, in the book, I'm very transparent about when it's an animal study, Mm -hmm. which is really hypothesis generating in medicine. And then we research it further in humans. But it's hard to do really good spice research in humans because, you know, how do you control it? You know, it is like, (laughs) so time is a a great one for the brain. Sage, you know, there's really, I think, a lot of them, first of all, One of the most extraordinary things about spices is that most of them are very, very powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidants. And those are two things that are very important to any disease process, head to toe. A lot of what we know is good for the heart, is also good for the brain, is good for diabetes prevention. So there's really a lot of overlap with all this stuff. So I encourage really a variety because we're learning more and more, I mean, things like the gut-brain axis. And so things like oregano, which is fabulous for the gut. And we know that there's a lot of crosstalk between the gut and the brain. And so, you know, I like to focus on variety. I mean, turmeric is definitely the rock star. I think of turmeric. I have to say, I you were going to say, is it turmeric, turmeric, turmeric? No, it's a great story because when I did, um, you know, live with Kelly and Ryan a few weeks ago, I actually had a teacher email me and say, "I loved your segment." As a teacher, though, I have to tell you, <laughs> you're pronouncing it incorrectly. It's turmeric, you know, turmeric, so, turmeric, turmeric. It's hard to say. And she also told me I was pronouncing basil wrong. That it's oh. actually bacill, like basilica, but that one I'm not going to change. Okay, yes, exactly. I'm trying I'm trying with turmeric. I just have to get used to it. One thing you mentioned to me, which I think is fascinating, is that there are a lot of spice blends out there you can buy so that if you're like me, I mean, I don't cook at all, but you pointed out that you can put spices on pre-made food. So you can pick up, a, you know, a salad from Whole Foods and then put a spice blend on top of it. Sure. In the dressing, you could add it to the dressing, oh, which would be super good, easy. Yeah. I think like, soups and and chilies are probably the the easiest thing. So and you're right, the spice blends because I still I have to admit like I'm preparing for another TV segment and the producers like, "Well, why can't we just put rosemary and cumin on the chicken?" and and I'm like, I don't think those go, and I had to, you know, yeah. Google it and see if. It, so it's a little intimidating when you're, yeah. when, if you don't have an extensive cooking background. So these spice blends, they have them everywhere now, and it's a great way to get, you know, a blend of wonderful spices that is easy to use. So you know, if I had to put six spices together on a salmon, I'm probably going to do that, like once a quarter. Right. If it's all in a jar <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and all I have to do is put a little, you know, olive oil and then sprinkle the blend and it tastes fabulous, I'm going to do that twice a week. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. twice a week. But And does it matter if they're fresh or dried? Both are equally good? I think both have value. I mean, my big thing is to make everything easier for, yeah. I think we have so much advice that diet advice and nutrition advice that makes our life so complicated. And I just feel like it, it for me to do it, I mean, my barometer is me. If I can't do it, I'm not going to expect my patients 
or people that read my book to do it. I mean, granted, there's some great cooks out there, but the thing about spices is that they're so easy. I've been, even during the writing of the book, I I bought fresh herbs all the time. I'm like, you know, super motivated to, and they, half the time they'd go bad in the fridge. And spices, you know, you have a little bit more leeway, you know, so, but I think there's benefits to both for sure. Now you mentioned, I want to say it right, turmeric, as the sort of hero spice, are there what are like the top three or four spices that you think we should all really make an effort to get in? You know, almost daily if possible. Turmeric, I got I got to get it right. <laughs> See, I got to keep practicing. I'm going to sit in the mirror at home. I mean, I think it's much easier to use in a curry powder. And the nice thing about curry is that it has my second favorite spice, which is cayenne. It has red pepper in it often. Mm. The hot, the spicier curry. So I think. Anybody who is watching their weight um, add cayenne pepper in wherever they can. It's a little bit. I mean, it's got just need a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's got some kick to it. You can add it to canned chili if you want, you know, I mean, but I think adding it in wherever you can, even putting a dash in like I'll do sometimes in the afternoon if I'm feeling really hungry at the office, I'll add a dash and a lemonade that I make with um, Mm. a little lemonade packet with stevia, Mm. just add a dash of cayenne. And it really does help with appetite control. So that's number two. Rosemary is Mm. a tremendous antioxidant. It actually has some potential anti-aging benefits. So for the skin, Mm. it helps protect the skin from UVB radiation. It's actually quite interesting. Um, This is where I start. There's just so many that pop (laughs) in my head. I think ginger is fantastic for helping with the pain of arthritis. So it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. It's also very good at helping with insulin resistance. Mm. Insulin resistance, so when your body doesn't respond to insulin correctly, it needs to produce more and more to have the same effect. And insulin is a fat-promoting hormone, so it makes it very, very very difficult to lose weight if you have high circulating levels of insulin. So I think ginger, there's also a really cool study. I get excited about this stuff and I get excited about the research. There's a really cool study that showed that having a cup of ginger tea before a meal actually increased the body's calorie burning. It's called the thermic effect of food during that meal. Now it's only by 42 calories, but that sort of thing adds up over time. And it's just having a cup of ginger tea. It's And I, it's funny, I was talking to a, a journalist yesterday, and he's like, you know, my, my wife is Chinese, and her parents, we always have ginger tea before a meal. So it's really interesting to hear how some of these other cultures that are much more, you know, embracing even just herbal medicine and teas and, and things like that do this naturally, you know? It, mm-hmm. it's So there, I've given you, four, I mean, I love cumin, I love oregano, it's a, <laughs> I love thyme, you know, but uh, so it's it's hard, but oh, and cinnamon, sorry. I'll put cinnamon, I'll, cinnamon will round out my top five okay. because that one is really the blood sugar hero. I mean, it has the most research on blood sugar. So it also may help support cholesterol and blood pressure. And cinnamon is so easy. I mean, I have it in my coffee right now. I just, you know, at any coffee place, you have it. That's the easiest one to use. There's no excuse. You got to go do cinnamon every day. Everybody likes cinnamon. Everybody likes cinnamon. It's the most popular spice in this country, so... 
Well, speaking of cinnamon, because I know it is one of the ones you mentioned is best for blood sugar control, and a lot of these are good for blood sugar control. I am a type 1 diabetic, as I've mentioned to you before. And I want to just kind of veering off into the nutrition in general. I have been saying, and I've said it to Sarah, I think I've said it to you, like, I need to see Dr. Molina. I need to sit down and, like, get my nutrition in order because that's going to be the best thing for my type 1. It's not just – even though type 2 is caught more of sort of caused sure. by nutrition, type 1 is definitely very affected by it, Absolutely. Obviously. But the thing is, like, when I think about coming to see you, I'm honestly terrified. Like, you can probably just hear it talking yeah. about it. Like, it just feels overwhelming and scary because yeah. it feels like I'm really going to have to do something. Right. And what I'm just wondering is, is that a reaction you get from a lot of people? Like, is it, a, it seems very emotional, like food and nutrition is more emotional than other kinds of medicine. Absolutely. No, I think that's 100% correct. I mean, because I'm a physician, I tend to see more complex patients like you, like somebody with type 1 diabetes, I would consider more complex from a nutrition standpoint, right. not just your garden variety. I want to eat better, maybe right. lower cholesterol a little bit. You know, I, I remember I spoke at an event that President Clinton was speaking at about 10 years ago, and I remember him talking about even just the cultural aspect of food and how important it was, like family dinners and mm -hmm. holidays. Mm -hmm. And there's so much emotion attached to it. One of the things that I really try to do, and I think this is what, you know, differentiates me a lot from some of these alternative practitioners is I am a realist. Mm. And, and so when you come in, it's a team effort. I'm not telling people what to do. We're working together to find something that feels doable. And the thing about that, it's not going to be as dramatic. It's not going to mm -hmm. be as fast. You're not going to be doing paleo or, you know, ketogenic diet, which is the new hot one, or Whole30, which basically makes it really hard to live in the world, in my opinion. I mean, I I can't do any of these low-carb things. I get way too crazy and depressed and hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so even the spices, like, that's just such an easy thing. Yes. If we just started with that, and I'm like, okay, Liz, let's find a breakfast that has cinnamon, little protein, a little bit of healthy fat in it to keep the blood sugar as stable as possible, minimize your insulin requirements, mm -hmm. which is what I do with everybody. Yeah. And, and then it's like, you know, patients bring in like restaurant menus from near their office because I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pack my lunch. I, right. me, no, I know I'm not going to pack my lunch every day. I, every once in a while, I'll bring in a salad from Trader Joe's and I'm like, yay. Um, <laughs> most of the time I don't. And I walk to, I'm good though. You know, I walk to Whole Foods from my office and get something, <laughs> but it's working with you, not being like super didactic. And, and I'm not about a lot of rules. Now, the problem with that though is that you need to be internally motivated. Then the work yes. goes back on you. But then you do whatever you want. And you come back and we check in and say, what worked, what didn't? Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I've never, and that's probably why none of my other books have ever sold that much, is because <laughs> I hate giving people strict rules because I know that they will follow them sometimes for a period of time when they're in the right mindset but then they go off of them when they're not, and they have no idea how to navigate the real world. I need to teach people, especially somebody like you, with yeah. a, a chronic disease right. that is not 
you know, due to poor lifestyle choices. Type 1 diabetes is the one that's not, and it's, you know, less than 10% of diabetics. But this is something that, you know, you need to manage for life and minimizing the side effects. So I bring in more of the medical side just to keep you encouraged. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not going to be no sugar, no carbs, no this, no that. You only grass fed. I mean, you could drive yourself nuts trying to eat perfectly clean in this world. I mean, and again, I hate to keep coming back to spices, but I think they're just so easy to incorporate. I mean, you know, getting you to drink ginger tea after your Mm -hmm. coffee. I wouldn't even have you give up your coffee. After your, in addition to, or green tea, you know, is fantastic. I drink a lot of green tea. No, I think that's one reason why I love this book so much is because I felt like, oh my God, this is something I can do now that's easy, not expensive, and could actually make a difference. And I I do need to come in. I'm glad we had this little conversation (laughs) because once I express it and I express my fear, then I usually have an easier time moving through it. Yeah. So I'll work on that. All right. I'm here. I'm here whenever <laughs> you're ready. We'll okay. be getting ginger tea and green tea for our office. Today. Yes. Today. See, yes. that's yes. it. And cinnamon. <laughs> yes. And cinnamon. <laughs> Melina, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. It was awesome a blast. Awesome to talk to you. Your book, Spice Up, Slim Down, is so great, and it's just so informative and easy to understand, so I just recommend it to everybody. And don't forget, 100% of the profits from the book go to charity called Action Against Hunger, which fights childhood malnutrition globally. So it's been selling, so I've already hit all my expenses. Every nickel from book sales goes to this wonderful charity that helps, you know, globally with uh, childhood malnutrition. So I feel amazing about the opportunity to do that as well. That's fantastic. That's incredible. And we shall now go forth and use turmeric. Yes. (laughs) And basil. 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 (laughs) Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. Now, this is a fun hack that we got from our assistant, Mary, who is just full of helpful information. Um, (laughs) She told us about this really fun app called HQ. Yes, and it is really fun. It's a trivia game, and it's free, but you're playing for real money. Usually it's like $2,000, but I think there was one around the holidays that was like $18,000. Yeah. Crazy. And hundreds of thousands of people play at the same time. Um, And you answer 12 questions, and whoever gets all 12 correct splits the pot. Yeah. Now, Sarah, um, they're not easy. They start off easy, and then they get harder. So um, you and I, I think, have only gotten to question five. (laughs) Yeah, that's as successful (laughs) as we have been. Uh, But anyway, there's usually a game at noon and 6 p.m. Pacific time. And if you sign up for, like, alerts, it'll pop up on your phone saying, HQ starting now. And then you go to the app, and they have a two-minute countdown with, like, really intense music playing. And you're waiting (laughs) for it to start. And so 
Lately, whenever we've had the chance, we've stopped what we're doing and played. Because a lot of time, as we've said, we're just sitting around obsessing. Yeah. So it's just a nice <laughs> distraction. Then we'll go, okay, we'll play HQ now. Yeah, it's a really good way to take a break. Um, and then, of course, the schedule's different on, like, weekends. I don't know what they do, but during the week, it's noon and 6, usually. And if you have the app on your phone, a little thing just pops up and tells you when it's happening. So you yes. don't really have to keep track. Yes. And, of course, it usually only distracts us for a couple of minutes because, like I said, we haven't made it very far. <laughs> if we made it through all 12 questions, it would be a lot more of a time suck. <laughs> um, but as it is, it's just a little distraction during the day. And, and one we really need right now. Yes. So thank you, Mary, for that Hollywood hack. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voicemail at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. A huge thank you to Dr. Melina Jampolis for being with us today. Read her blog at drmelina.com and check out her latest books, Spice Up, Slim Down. I highly recommend it. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. You can find us on Twitter, too. I'm at Sarah M. Fain and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. Until next week, I'm Liz Kraft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Even during pilot season. That's right. Um, do you want to ask about the fat freezing, Sarah? Or do you want me to? <laughs> Can I phrase it as Liz is dying to yes. know? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I'm wearing my scrubs too. So can, it's a good, yeah. good light tie-in. Yeah. yeah, cool. What's it called? Cool, cool sculpting. sculpting. Cool sculpting. You can call it that okay. instead of fat freezing. <laughs> Anyways, it does. We'll talk about that afterwards. Only after you come in for the nutrition. Yes, I, I refuse to do it <laughs> until we talk about nutrition. Okay. I can do it at the same time. We yes. can freeze your fat and talk about nutrition at the same time. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's a plan. That's a plan I can get behind.